you're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. That I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. And we are just going to read the first eight verses of the chapter, John chapter 12 and verses 1 to 8. And we're going to see some familiar characters, some characters that we talked about last week. And we, when we talked about John chapter 11, here in John chapter 12, right at the very beginning, um, we have those same set of characters where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now here in John chapter 12, different setting, but same people involved. Okay, so John chapter 12 and verse 1, it says six days before the Passover, that's significant, just so that you know, remember, this is just before the triumphal entry. This is just before what we celebrate as Palm Sunday now, six days before Passover. You know what happens on Passover? Jesus is crucified. So this is six days before his death, okay? Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he, was, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having ch- charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Why don't we pray before we get going? Heavenly Father, it is, it is good to be in your house this morning. And, and Father, we... We pray that uh, you would enable us to give you 100% of ourselves this morning. That you would help us to to drop away the baggage, to drop away the things that maybe are hindering us from giving you our full attention. Father, I pray that maybe this would be some some revolutionary moments in in our lives where we can just do business with you, <clears throat> where we can just uh, use these opportunities to, to remove the roadblocks and, and to give you the praise and the glory and the honor and the thanksgiving that, that you so richly deserve. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we look into your word, that your spirit would teach us, that you would speak through me, and that you would speak through your spirit into our hearts, and that each thing that we consider today would be um, something that would move us closer in our relationship with you. When we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, as I said before, 
bring us to the same family that was headlined at the beginning of John chapter 11. Uh, There were three adult siblings, and they lived together in the same house in the town of Bethany, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. This is the same Lazarus, as I said, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And so last week, we, we, we kind of branched out and we talked about the three different instances when, when the Bible records that Jesus cried or wept. Um, and, and that was the, the, the topic of our study last week. But this week, the scene is very different because this is... The scene here in John chapter 12 is not a funeral. It's not the aftermath of a funeral. It's not a burial, or the reverse of that, I guess. But instead of a funeral, this is a dinner. This is a dinner party, really. Um, And there at this dinner party is the dead guy, Lazarus. I mean, what an amazing dinner this would have been to be at. You got um, Mary and Martha and you got Lazarus and uh, maybe he's wearing a t-shirt that says, I was dead and I live to tell about it or something like that. But all three of them are there and they're hosting this dinner party and then this is what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Now it also appears when you read the text that not only were Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus there, but also the implication is, although there's only one of them that's mentioned, the implication is that all of his all of Jesus' disciples, all twelve of them, are probably at this party too. We can't say for sure because it just says that um, Judas was there, <coughs> but I mean Maybe John was there as well. He was the one who was recording this. Um, But Judas is the only one who is mentioned by name. And we learn something about his character from John. He gives this little editorial comment uh, in parentheses. He says, you know, Judas was the one who was going to betray Jesus. We learn that not only is he, he dubbed or he going to be the betrayer, we also know that he's a hypocrite um, because he complains when Mary takes the perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. He complains and he kind of says, well, you know, we could have sold this. Uh, it was very expensive. We could have given the money to the poor, but he didn't want to really do that. All he wanted to do was steal the money. Um, and this is all what John kind of gives us. He gives us kind of an inside view. Um, he complains about this expensive oil. It was, in his mind, wasted on Jesus when it could have been sold. Um, and that's why in verse 6, if you look down at verse 6, it says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Now that th- word thief in Greek is the word kleptus. And obviously we get the word kleptomaniac from that word. Um, that's Judas. That is how John and, and maybe some of the other gospel writers would describe him. And see, what would happen, and, and this is always, I don't know if this has perplexed you, this has always perplexed me. See, people would give money to support the ministry of Jesus. That wasn't perplexing, um, but I'm getting to it. And, his, this, and so as Jesus and his 12, 
12 disciples would travel around and they'd teach and they'd heal and, and all those sorts of things, people would give financially to support him uh, and his disciples. They, they weren't able to, to work all the time and so they needed help to, to go. I mean, it's really what we do for missionaries, right? When they go to other places, we give them support so that they can do the work of Jesus in that place. It's the same thing here. People were giving, and so Jesus and his disciples were traveling, and they were ministering, and they were healing and teaching, raising the dead, and people would give financially. And this is the perplexing part. Judas is the guy who was looking after the money. And I don't know why. What, why was it? They had Matthew. He was a tax collector. He handled money all the time. But Judas was the guy. He was the guy who, who was in charge of the money. I, it's always been curious to me. I don't know what the reason is. I know it's not really that much of a mystery, but it is to me. Um, anyway, this is Judas. We learn so many bad things about him. We get insight into his character. He is a hypocrite. He is a liar. He is a betrayer. He is a thief. And he is at the dinner party. And then back to the dinner party, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are hosting in their home. And so we know that there are potentially, we don't know exactly, um, but potentially, so there, there would be Jesus, 12 disciples, and then we know that there's Mary, Martha, Lazarus. So we know potentially there's at least 16 people at this dinner party. The reason why I mention that is because this is actually a, a pretty big deal. Um, Bethany, the town in which Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, in Hebrew, the, the word Bethany is Betania. And what Betania means is house of the poor. House of the poor. And I don't know, we don't know, we, we can only guess what the financial situation of Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus were. They were adult siblings. They were living in the same house. We don't know how much money they had. But first century historians will tell you that people who lived in Bethany were, were put there or they lived there because there was cheap housing. Because they were poor. House of the poor. And so it could be that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were, were not well off. I mean, it, it's maybe not so much of a stretch to even believe that. Um, it really doesn't matter, but I guess the implication that we have here is that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, even if they really didn't have that much money, they still wanted to do something special for Jesus. They wanted to host a dinner for him. They were thankful to him for what, they had done, for what he had done for, for Lazarus, for, their, for his friendship, for, for all these different things. We don't know exactly what their living situation was, no, but they were generous enough to invite Jesus to this dinner party, to honor him. Because... When Jesus does something amazing for you, specifically you, isn't the natural tendency, shouldn't the natural tendency be a desire to want to honor him and to thank him? 
I mean, we should have that desire all the time, but certainly when Jesus works in your life in a fantastic and an amazing and an awesome way, shouldn't the natural desire be to to give him glory and thanks and honor and praise? Sure it should. And I say this, or I I say this as as a way of seeing the direction that we want to go here with the rest of our time. And uh, for all you note takers, if you've taken notes, um, I would just give this uh, definition. Maybe not so much a definition, but if you go to the next slide, Aaron, um, I just said, what is worship and how does it happen? How does it happen? And so I would say it this way. Uh, This is not my own definition. I heard somebody say this once, but it makes perfect sense to me. Worship happens out of the overflow of a grateful heart for who God is and for what he has done. I'll just say that again. Worship happens out of the overflow of a grateful heart for who God is and what he has done. And when we begin to realize just who God is, when we begin to realize who he is and we begin to realize all the things that he has done, we just can't help but want to worship him. I hope that we can get ourselves to that state. We can't help but want to worship him, to honor him and to thank him and to praise him for all that he has done. And I believe, and I I know there's a a little bit of guesswork here. I, I do get that. But I believe that that's what's happening here in John chapter 12. I believe that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus And maybe if there were other guests there, we don't know exactly. But I think that that's what they're doing. They are expressing their thanksgiving. They are expressing their their praise and their glory for, for the Lord Jesus. They are giving this dinner party as a way of honoring and thanking Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead, for for being their companion. And I, and I just want us to see, because I think that there are some implications about worship in this passage. And, and I think that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are good examples. And so just let me show you three ways. Three ways in which there are to worship. Three, three I, and I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list. I'm not saying that, you know, all these things are, are the only way you can worship. I'm not saying that. There, there's many, many different ways that we can worship. But in this passage, in John chapter 12, I think that Martha and Mary and and Lazarus give us some good examples. Three examples. Now, I heard that a couple weeks ago you were laughing uh, and making fun of me because I have subpoints on all my other, my main points, and then I have subpoints. How dare you? (laughs) And so I have a whole bunch of subpoints today. I don't actually, but I really, really wanted to. <clears throat> um, I want us to see three things. And uh, three things that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all worshiping Jesus for in different ways. And, I mean, you can read this passage and you can see that Mary gets most of the attention, right? 
um, because most of it is, is written about her because she's throwing this essential oil party or something like that. Uh, but don't think for a minute that Martha and Lazarus aren't worshiping Jesus. They're just worshiping him in a different way. And all three of them model for us this wonderful way that we can honor and thank Jesus for who he is and for what he has done. And let me just show you. So the first one that I want to see is just in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, So they gave a dinner party for him, Jesus, there. Martha served. In that entire passage, this is the only thing that's written about Martha. Those two words, Martha served. That's it. That's all she gets in the whole story. Martha served. It kind of seems sometimes like Martha gets a bit of a raw deal, don't you think? Uh, I mean, she's criticized in Luke chapter 10 when, you know, Jesus comes to their house and, you know, she is going all around and, and you know, and she's preparing supper and Mary is just kneeling at, at Jesus' feet and taking it all in and, and listening and she's getting more and more bitter. <laughs> I mean, that's the, what we read in, in John chapter 10, right? The, there's another meal happening. They're hosting Jesus again. This is before um, John chapter 12. Mary's there. She's serving. She's getting miffed. Mary's just not helping her at all. Uh, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's enjoying the moment. Martha's scurrying around. She's trying to get the house clean. She's trying to make food. She's trying to see all the preparations, uh, see to all the preparations because Jesus is there and she wants everything to be perfect. Jesus is a big deal, certainly to Mary and Martha. And so what, what Luke chapter 10 says, um, actually, I'm just going to read it for you. Luke chapter 10 And verses 40 to 42, this is what it says. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, so there's three descriptive words that, that, that Luke gives about Martha in that story. Troubled, anxious, distracted. I don't know if they're in, your, in the version that you're reading from, but you get the implication. Martha's frantic. And she pauses long enough to address Jesus. And she says, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. But notice in that passage that I did not say, or I did not read, and Jesus does not say that serving is unnecessary. He does not say that serving is unnecessary. He does not say that serving is unimportant what he was pointing out was that Jesus uh, what he was pointing out was that that Martha was frazzled and she was frantic in the process of serving he uses the term uh, he uses the in in some of your versions he will use the word worried uh, troubled she is worried that all that she has done is not going to be enough she's troubled about everything that hasn't been done and she wants Jesus to help she wants Jesus to tell Mary to to get up and help her, 
tell Mary to come and assist me. Now, Martha, God bless her. I always thought Luke chapter 10 doesn't seem like a very fair story. Uh, She gets a little bit of a raw deal because she just wants to serve. She has a servant's heart. In Luke chapter 10, it it appears that her her servant's heart is, is maybe just a little bit out of control, right? She's serving in a way that is now becoming a burden, um, and maybe some of you can identify with, with Martha. Uh, you, you, you have a, a doer personality. You like to do things. You want to get the job done. You're super organized. You uh, like to organize the pantry, alphabetize the refrigerator, uh, make lists about making lists, um, and you check off the lists as you make your lists, and then you frame the list, and, and oh no, I, I'm sorry, uh, I'm just, you know, you know, the, you are probably the ones who are taking notes right now. You, Marthas, that's probably, and, and if you look down your row, you probably see the people that are just kind of taking it all in, those are the Marys. And you see the people that are sleeping, those are the, those are the Lazaruses, right there. Um, but you're just Martha. You, you got to get the job done. You, you got to get your list done. You have to check it off. You have to, you're task oriented. And there's nothing wrong with that. Make no mistake, we need Martha's. The, the implication in, in John chapter 10, or sorry, in Luke chapter 10, is just this. It's simply that when serving becomes a burden, it's not serving anymore. And so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, calm down, Martha. Mary has chosen the more necessary thing in the moment. She's with me. And I'm not going to take that away from her. So he doesn't say that serving is wrong. In fact, serving, I think, and and the implication that I'm trying to get to is that, that Martha served and that was a way of worship. In Luke chapter 10, no, she, she maybe was getting, she was getting carried away. But he does, Jesus doesn't say that serving is wrong. In fact, it's wonderful. It, it's, a, it's a way to worship. It just has to be harnessed in the right way to benefit others and, and not make us frantic. And it appears, if you look at the difference between Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 12, it appears that there is a difference. Because in Luke chapter 10, it says that Martha was frantic and worried and distracted and all these sorts of things. What does it say in John chapter 12? It says Martha served. That's it. That's all it says. It just says Martha served. And it's an indication, I think, to us that she is now serving with the right disposition. She is serving Jesus out of an overflow of a heart that loves him, that wants to to honor him. And let me tell you why that is important for us. It is important because in very practical ways, you serve Jesus when you serve others. You worship Jesus, you honor Jesus, you thank Jesus by serving one another. 
Paul, Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter three. Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, what Paul is saying and what we're trying to get across here is that when you are serving others, you are actually serving Jesus. You are actually honoring Jesus. You are actually worshiping Jesus by the way that you model servanthood. Do you remember what Jesus said later on in in John? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we serve other people in the spirit of Jesus, we are honoring Jesus. Our creator we are honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and so when you come to church and you stand by the door and shake hands or when you help someone walk into church arm in arm or when you give them a smile or when you make someone a meal or when you go shovel their driveway or when you go this 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 all these different examples when you do those things and I'm not just talking about doing them for the people sitting in this room, but, but for other people. When you serve other people, you are actually serving Jesus. When you are at work and you honor your boss, when you are at work and you help your coworkers, you serve your employees, when you are doing it as unto the Lord, you are actually serving Jesus. And by extension, you are worshiping. When you are in the home and you're helping your wife or you are helping your husband and you are serving your kids or you want to serve your neighbors or your friends, when you're doing that in the spirit of Jesus, you are actually honoring and serving and worshiping Jesus. So don't ever downplay the fact that in John chapter 12, Martha gets only two words. She served, but her servant's heart was her way of honoring and worshiping and thanking Jesus. She just did it a little differently than than maybe you do your worship. And let me tell you what the implication is of that. I've used the word implication about 40 times already today, and I apologize for that. But this is important. We do not need to sit in these pews to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a myriad, countless numbers of opportunities and places where you can serve the Lord Jesus where you, by serving other people. And let me tell you something. There are people that are doing some things that you are looking at that and you're going, you're frowning at them and you're looking down your nose at them and you're going, that, they shouldn't be in that place or, or I don't know why they would do that. I, I'm not, I just want us to be careful when we, 
when we try to judge intention and when we try to judge the way people are thinking, maybe they are in that place to serve other people. And by serving other people, they're serving Jesus. So it's important that we make sure that we don't judge too harshly. We look at a person and they're in a place where we would never deign to go ourselves. But they are comfortable enough to go to that place, wherever that is, and worship by serving other people. God has uniquely gifted those people to go to those places. And whereas we would go to that place and we would feel immensely uncomfortable, God gifted those people to go. That's why he, that's why he said go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Martha served. That's one way to worship, by serving other people as unto the Lord. When we serve other people in the spirit of Jesus, we are actually serving and worshiping and honoring God. Let me give you another example of worship in this story. Verse two, again. So they gave a dinner party for him. They didn't, party's not in there. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So we have Martha serving. We have number two, Lazarus sitting. That's it. I mean, he sat. Now, at first glance, it might look like he's just being lazy, that he's just lounging around the table with Jesus. It almost looks like that. It almost looks like in typical fashion, sometimes, you know, uh, maybe this is going to make some of us feel uncomfortable. Uh, When we go to a place like a family dinner and we eat and all the preparation is happening and there's a whole bunch of people that are just sitting on couches and they're mostly males and watching football or something like that and then we eat and then the males mostly go back to the couch and they start watching football again and then all the preparation is you know you know what I'm talking about right yeah okay uh, i am guilty of that often i'm just i'm i'm just including myself in the the judging here um but listen i Think about this, okay? Don't be too hard on Lazarus. First, we got to give him some grace because he had been dead. <laughs> I, I mean, if I had been dead and then that week my, my sisters decided to throw a, a party, uh, I would be on the couch. I would be milking it for all I was worth. Um, you know, when I was in grade two, I had just finished grade two. Uh, I know I've shared this story with you before, but I was uh, riding my motorbike the first weekend of summer holidays, uh, and our neighbors had a dune buggy. They came around the corner, smacked me, and I flew into the bush, broke my leg, two places, here, here. And so I went to the hospital, and they put this ginormous cast on. Like, from here down, I was all cast. And it was so big that I had to wear my mom's sweatpants. <laughs> and uh, all summer long, that's what I was in. And uh, she actually put shorts on me once. I said, no, mom, <laughs> please no. Uh, anyway, um, I used that cast as a way to, I, I milked the sympathy as much as I could. And I thought, I am going to get out of weeding the garden. 
I am going to get out of uh, hauling wood for the winter. I am going to get out of picking raspberries. Oh, no. My mother, God bless her, she blew up an old truck tire inner tube and put it underneath the raspberry bush, and she said, you can sit on this and pick raspberries. Can you believe how heartless she was? It has nothing to do with our story, other, other than the fact that I think that, that Lazarus would have been fully within his right to milk the fact that he had been dead for all it was worth. However, I don't think that that's what is happening here. All kidding aside, here's what I think. And maybe this is a little bit of an intellectual leap, but maybe if you will just, just indulge me just for a minute. You know what I think that Lazarus is doing? It says that Lazarus was one of them who was reclining at the table with Jesus. Here's what I think is happening. And it's something that all of us neglect to do often. Lazarus was simply enjoying the presence of the Lord. Martha wanted to serve. Lazarus simply wanted to enjoy his presence. He wanted to fellowship with Jesus. He wanted to talk with Jesus. He wanted to ask him questions. He wanted to hear what Jesus had to say about things. He wanted to enjoy every minute that he could be near the Lord. And there is nothing wrong Friends, in fact, it is desirable to want to enjoy being in the presence of the Lord. To be still and to know that he is God. To sit quietly in his presence. To be unhurried and meditate on his word. Incline your ear to that still small voice of the Lord. To hear him, to commune with him. It's some, some commentator called it this. He said, it's practicing the presence of the Lord. I like that. There are times when we just have to discipline ourselves to shut out the clutter and the clamor of the world and just get to be alone with God, to be in fellowship him, with him. And, and so I, I would say that we need to pencil this, these things into our schedule. And man, I know that we're busy. But when does it work for you? And is it a priority? Is it early in the morning? Is it late at night? Is it at your lunch break? Is, is there a time when you can just sit and just be with the Lord? Be in his word. There's nothing quite like spending that quiet time with the Lord and, and saying, Lord, show me the things in my own heart that I don't see because... Because sometimes we're so busy, we're going from here to there and we're doing this and that. And they, sometimes we just don't stop long enough to, to, to even allow God to speak into our hearts, to reveal to us the things that we don't see ourselves, the things that are getting in the way. Jeremiah said that the, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? God, show me the things about my own heart that I am blind to. There is no substitute for enjoying the presence of the Lord. And, and I truly believe that that's what Lazarus was doing here. 
Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in your presence, in the fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So simply sitting in the presence and enjoying the fellowship with God is a way that we honor and we thank him and we worship him. We worship when we serve him. We worship when we sit with him. And here's number three. We come to Mary. It's in verse three. And uh, verse three says this. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus, and she wiped her feet with their hair. And the, f- the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So while, Mary, while Martha served, while Lazarus sat, I think that Mary was the one who sacrificed. When Jesus comments about this in verse 7, he tells us, that this was somewhat of a prophetic gesture in effect. You know, he, he, Jesus references the fact that he was, in, a, in an obscure way, that he is going to, to die. That, G, that Mary was preparing him for his burial. So whether Mary knew it or not, whether God revealed this to her or not, we don't know, but we do know from verse 1 that Jesus was going to be crucified that week. It's just before Passover. So what Mary did here when she poured that perfume on Jesus' feet, it was, a, it was a prophetic gesture. And it was also a tender gesture. She was anointing his feet with expensive oil and perfume, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. And, and you know, I, would, I, have, I have read commentators who say that, that this is something that was totally inappropriate. This was not inappropriate. This was not suggestive in any way. She was just using what she had in front of her, her her long hair as as would be a towel, and she was wiping the excess of the oil that she had poured over his feet. So what this is is not inappropriate or suggestive or anything. What it is is tender. She is so overcome that she wants to just give Jesus some sort of presence, some sort of sacrifice. It was a prophetic gesture. It was a tender gesture. And, and I mean, like we read here in, in verses 1 to 8, it was a, uh, it was a costly gesture. Uh, some, they, they say it was oil from pure nard in, in uh, the ESV, I think it is. Uh, in one of your versions, it uses the word spike nard, uh, the historian Josephus will tell us that uh, this perfume was derived from a, a flowering plant uh, that grew at the base of the Himalayan mountains in northern India. I don't know how Mary got it, especially if she was really poor, but she did. And Judas gives us a, kind of a picture of how much it was. It was worth about 300 denarii, which probably worked out at that time to be about a year's wages for the average person in, uh, in Israel. When was the last time any of us gave the equivalent of a full annual salary? I, I, am, I am not trying to guilt us at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that this was a wonderful, costly 
gift of a single gesture to Jesus. We don't know how she got that. Maybe it was given to her. Maybe, you know, maybe she was wealthy, whatever. This was something, this was a great and amazing sacrifice. That she, and she was giving to Jesus generously. She was giving to him sacrificially. And, and let me be clear here too. Um, it's not the size of the gift. It's, it's not how much it costs. It's the sacrifice to the Lord. It might be more impressive for the one person who gives $20 because that's all they have than the person who puts in 20000 It's not the size of the gift, it's the sacrifice, and it's how we honor God. Mary is honoring Jesus in a wonderful way. As an aside, I, I think whenever we try to give sacrificially and generously to the Lord, don't you find that there's always a Judas standing around shaking his head and going, why, why are you doing that? That's such a waste. Why do you give to the church? Why do you give to that ministry? Why do you give to Valley View? Why do you give to that missionary? It's such a waste. Those people are so lazy. There will always be people who are constantly challenging you like Judas did. Jesus actually rebukes Judas in verse 7. And I want you to notice too that, that when he, he just he rebukes Judas. He's not dismissing the poor. But what he is saying to Judas is, don't don't over-spiritualize everything. And we do have the tendency to do that in the church today, don't we? We do. Some of us have the tendency to just over-spiritualize everything. Jesus says, you will always have the poor with me, with you, but you will not always have me. The point that Jesus was trying to make to Judas and to everyone else is that we should be generous to God and don't let the critics tell you that it's not a worthy investment. We worship when we serve him. We worship when we sit with him. And we worship when we sacrifice for him. One last thing that I want you to know and I want you to see, and you you just take this home with you. Verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and she anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. And then listen to this, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. If you got a pen, underline that in your Bible. The fragrance of Mary's devotion to Jesus was noticed throughout the whole house. Everywhere we go, Everywhere, every person that we encounter, we should spread the fragrance of our love and our devotion to Jesus. It should be smelled by everyone. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves today as we leave this place is this. What do you smell like? Because if you hang around a gym... You're going to smell like a gym, right? I'm not saying that it's bad to, <laughs> to go to a gym. You should go to a gym. Uh, if, you, if, you, uh, 
If you go to McDonald's, <laughs> you're going to smell like McDonald's. If you work at a zoo, you're going to smell like the zoo. You get the implication, right? If you hang out with the world, the world is going to permeate you. People are going to smell you just like that. You know what? If you smell like Jesus, if you hang out with Jesus, you're going to smell like him. And I would say this. Wherever we go and whatever we do, whether we're serving or sitting or sacrificing, May we be the fragrant aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the West End Community Church people be the fragrant aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. May we be the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ wherever we go. And with everyone we come into contact with to spread the aroma of the one who died on the cross to save us. Who loves us so much that he gladly sacrificed his life so that we might have life through faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing on our time. Thank you for just speaking to us. Thank you for um, thank you for your truth. And, and Lord, I just pray that we would be a church that is filled with worship in every way. Not just singing, not just praying, not just opening up your word, but, but God serving, sitting, sacrificing. May we find that perfect niche for ourselves, Father, Guide us to that place where we can show and we can spread the aroma of you in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to ask you, just our time is almost done here, so just stand with me and I'll just read the benediction. Jude says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen? Thanks for being here this morning.